Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 38 of Improv is No Joke podcast. Thank you very much for downloading this episode. Today's guest is Lisa Ryan, who is the founder and CEO of Gratigy. Gratigy is a combination of gratitude and strategy to help companies keep their top talent from becoming someone else's. Lisa and I talk about when she was restructured out of her full-time sales job and how that became the inspiration for starting her own business. She was well-known, well-liked in the company, and she was having the best year ever, but then the company had to restructure, and she lost her job. You would have thought, as a valuable employee, the company would have thanked her for her seven years of service or shown her some type of gratitude towards her. They didn't show her any gratitude, and born was gratitude. You keep your employees and your clients by the way you treat them. Show them appreciation period. The best part is that it doesn't cost you anything. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Nothing. However, companies spend a lot of money on stuff. Points, you know, and get if you get enough points, you can pick from this catalog and maybe you get to go home with a big screen television. Lisa states, you don't need to spend that kind of money if you're paying them a livable wage. They're not going to leave you over money if you're treating your people with respect and showing them gratitude. As Mother Teresa once said, that we are more starved for appreciation than we are for bread. Research shows that people with a gratitude practice are happier, they work out more often, and they complain less, and have fewer physical ailments, and they are emotionally available and nicer to be around. Gratitude works. I'm sure you'll enjoy our conversation, and as you listen to our interview, you'll hear many references to the principles of improvisation, just like the two above. If you're new to this podcast, go back to episode zero and listen to where I discuss in-depth about the principles of improvisation. One of my goals with this podcast is that I'll help you begin to make changes in your work and personal lives so you can connect better with others and create meaningful relationships. Many people have said it takes 21 days to start a habit, but a lifetime to keep that pattern. That's why I created the Yes and Challenge to help keep the principles of improvisation in front of you so you can build up your improvisational muscle. To sign up, please go to petermargaritas.com and scroll down to the Yes and Challenge call to action and click to register to begin building the productive habit of Yes and and the principles of improvisation. And remember to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag YesAndChallenge. Now, if you're unsure of what the SN Challenge is all about, I discuss this in detail in episode zero as well. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Along with, you can purchase my book, Improv is No Joke, Using Improvisation to Create Positive Results in Leadership and Life on Amazon. It's available in paperback and on Kindle. Now, with that said, let's get to the interview with Lisa Ryan. 
Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back. I'm with Lisa Ryan today. And before I introduce Lisa, I, I just want to read what's on her LinkedIn page that I find extremely fascinating. She's an employee engagement speaker and a workshop facilitator to help you keep your top talent from becoming someone else's. Now, if that hasn't gotten your attention, I don't know what will because we're all looking for the best and the brightest. But if they keep leaving and going someplace else, we need somebody like her to help us keep these people in our organization. So first and foremost, thank you so very much, Lisa, for uh, being a guest on my podcast today. You are very welcome, my friend. It's great to be here. It's good to have you. And just to get everybody in my audience up to speed, tell us a little bit about who Lisa Ryan is. Okay. Well, I spent most of my career in uh, sales, marketing, and training. I have been wanting to speak uh, for most of my life. It was actually showed up on one of my goal lists for the first time in 1987, when, of course, I was six years old, if you're doing the math. <laughs> I was thinking three, but that's okay. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> and uh, when my position was eliminated in uh October of 2010 via group conference call with 12 of us getting the boot at the same time. Uh, that is not a great way to get fired, by the way. No. I just decided that I would not let any organization do that to me again. And uh, Gratitude was born on that day. And uh, where my friends would tell me, hey, Lisa, that phone call was a blessing in disguise. My only response, of course, is, oh, honey, there was no disguise. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to... You know, doing something that you absolutely love, it's uh, sometimes it happens in ways unexpected. You know, I always thought, hey, I'm going to build up my speaking business, then I'm going to quit my job. But I had a very lucrative job and it wasn't one that you just quit. And so, you know, you feel that you have those golden handcuffs on, but when the, when the opportunity is given to you to, uh, to have a choice, I could have wallowed or I could have done something that I loved. And I'm, I'm very happy to say that, you know, six years later, I'm still loving it. That, that's great. We, we have a little bit of a similar background because at, at one point in time, many years ago, I was uh, downsized, re-engineered, laid off, fired, something along those lines <laughs> from uh, uh, a company in, in Columbus. And I remember that first Monday waking up going, what, I, what, what do I do? I don't, I said, this isn't vacation. What what do I do? And I kind of ho-hummed for a little bit. And a couple of days later, somebody said, you know, this could be the best thing possible for you. And I did a complete change in attitude. And at the time, it was. It actually turned out to be the best thing possible for me. And this was back in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't be doing this if I hadn't have been re-engineered back in the day. So so you 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 took that opportunity and turned it into a business. Yeah, yeah, because I knew that one of the things that I went through myself is I'd been with this company for seven years. I was on every product team that they had. I was well-known, well-liked in the company. I was having my best year ever. And then when that you know, when they had to make a difficult choice, and I'm sure that it was for them to do that kind of restructuring, but there was really nothing along the lines of, hey, thanks for your service. We're so sorry to see you go. There was, there was really nothing like that. 
And I knew that it really just brought to light the, the gratitude, that appreciation, that acknowledging your employees is something that you do, whether you're in my situation like this and you have to let go a valuable employee or, uh, you know, just to keep your employees there. You keep your employees and your best clients from becoming someone else's by the way you treat them. Wow, what is such a novel concept that it's so hard in a lot of organizations to accomplish. And on your LinkedIn page, you go, do you know that when a customer stops doing business with a company, 68% of the time it's because they feel ignored, underappreciated, or taken for granted? Or when an employee quits, 67% of the time it's because of their manager. Okay, the last one. Only 42% of employees say that they've received any kind of recognition in the past year. Man, well, one, those two numbers are very high, and two, that last one's very low in, in my mind because, you know, we are all in the people business, no matter what product or service that we sell or do, and without people, we can't do business, so we should be appreciating our people a heck of a lot more than we currently are. Well, absolutely, because when you think about it, and I hear different responses, some managers will say, but Lisa, why should I thank my employees for doing their job, okay? Well, if you want your employees to give you their blood, their sweat, their tears, that's what you do. You acknowledge them. It costs nothing. Now, so many companies are focused on giving stuff, you know, get so many points and you can pick from this catalog and you can do this and this and this, and I'm going to give you a big screen television. But sometimes when it actually comes down to it, you don't need to spend that kind of money. If somebody is making a livable wage and they feel appreciated, they're not necessarily going to go down the street for more money. They may go down the street because they feel that that company is going to recognize them more. But like Mother Teresa said, we are more starved for appreciation than we are for bread. And I think that this is a message that corporate America really needs to get to because the talent pool is shrinking and when we have those awesome employees that we bring into our company, we have to figure out how to keep them so that they don't take those talents and go somewhere else. When you said the word appreciation, I remember one uh, owner of a company uh, making this comment, something along the lines of, you know, my employees, they want appreciation. They want appreciation. I'll show them appreciation. It's called a paycheck. I keep signing it for them, and I'm going, eh, that's not, a, it's kind of the, the wrong attitude. But then I also want to explore this concept of why aren't we spending the time with the people? Are, are, we, are we using that 80-20 approach where we're spending 80% of our time with the bottom 20% of those within the organization, thereby ignoring their other 80% and not providing them time, not spending time with them, especially with those high performers? Yeah, it, it goes along the, it, it, I think all of the above, because we always pay attention to our rock stars. Of course, you know, we're going to give them all kinds of kudos because of who they are. And we spend a lot of problem, a lot of time with our problem children because, you know, we have to fix them because obviously they're broken. I'm saying this in jest, <laughs> right. but a lot of times it's that's that steady Eddie that doesn't get any attention. You know, Eddie's the employee and he shows up and he does his job and he's never going to be a rock star. He's not got problem child, but because he's there and he gets his paycheck, you know, we don't really pay any attention to Eddie. 
And I tell my clients, it's like, what if you went up to Eddie and just said, you know, I I just want to let you know that I can always count on you. Your work is done well. And I'm just glad that you're here. You may be the first person in Eddie's whole life to ever acknowledge him. And we go back to Mother Teresa, who talks about how starved we are for that. And Eddie might go, wow, that was pretty cool. How do I get me more of that? (laughs) And he does something else and he gets acknowledged. So we can actually, by our words, by our acknowledgement, by taking action, which again, costs very little time, no money to acknowledge those people and will see tangible results in their productivity, in their attitude, in their overall profitability to the company because we took the time to look at that person as more than employee ID, more than somebody that we're writing a paycheck to. So how do you change that thought process? If, if most of corporate America, and it doesn't have to be corporate America, it could be almost any business, if they have that attitude that I, they're there for me to pay them, why should I give them, you know, because it's their job? How do you change someone's attitude along those lines? I have found in my audiences that the companies that desperately need me the most are the ones least likely to hire me. It's the companies that are already doing things well, that already see the hint or something happen, and they know that a change has to be made, that they're the ones that are making the investment. Unfortunately, unless upper management is willing to get that buy-in, and believe me, I use a boatload of research. I have so many numbers that I can put dollars on this, like you read on my on my LinkedIn profile. You know, how much money? that that $8 an hour employee costs. There's numbers out there that go from, you know, that $8 an employee, $8 an hour employee can cost you anywhere from $2,000 to more than $16,000 to replace. So if we start looking at the, the facts behind it and the money behind it and we see, wow, you know what? Maybe if I start acknowledging Mary and saying thank you and appreciating her for the job she does, maybe it's not going to cost me $16,000 to replace Mary when she leaves and goes somewhere else down the street. Some people, you have to talk to them in terms of numbers. I know a lot of your audience are accountants. It's all about the numbers. And maybe the people skills aren't always there because we're seeing them as numbers. But if we can get beyond that and know that that person is so much more in their ability to contribute to the organization, that's when the changes start. So so going into an organization, they, they contact you, they need your help. When you go in, are you doing a series of workshops or, or, or what, what type of process are you putting in place for these organizations to change that culture? You know what? All of the above. Um, Two weeks ago, I was at an insurance company and they were bringing in their teams from all over the country. It was their management teams that they were doing a full day workshop and I was the kickoff speaker. They had, well, they had somebody come in and kind of give a company update and then I had a two hour session. Uh, with these managers. And a lot of it is the company was looking at ways that they could better understand their customers. So getting their managers together to have those conversations. They were looking at transforming the way that they did business because they realized that some of the things that they were doing weren't working. 
And I went on Glassdoor and I saw some of the things that weren't working. The website that is kind of like the Yelp of, <laughs> of working at companies. And they also wanted to look for ways to delight their customers and to delight to light their employees. Sometimes it's giving your managers permission to do these things, to have the conversation so that they can do a better job. But a lot of times I think that that's really where uh, the program is, is, is when the company is looking at making some changes, when they're, they're starting to address their, their culture there, that my program is an excellent way to get that kickoff going. And then we continue the conversation. And depending on the client, sometimes that's webinars, sometimes that's teleseminars, sometimes that's going in on a regular basis, doing um, follow-up programs. So it really depends on the client because I really like to personalize um, my programs to exactly what the client's looking for. Okay, I have to take a, a, a go back a little bit because you said something, a website that I've, I've never heard of. Uh, oh. <laughs> glassdoor.com? Glassdoor.com. And it's the Yelp of? It's the Yelp of uh, employment. Basically, if you want to check out a company, um, and I compare it to Yelp because it's very rare that people write positive things on Yelp. <laughs> it's only the people that are really unhappy that go there. And I find the same with Glassdoor is they will, they rate the CEO, they write, rate the, uh, the company itself. So, and it's all anonymous. So, you know, when things are anonymous, people are even more brutally honest than you think that they would be. It's a good way to get a barometer of how your organization is, perce is perceived in the marketplace. Because if I go and I check out your company before I come there for an interview and I see that 67% of the people are saying, oh, this is a horrible place to work. Management doesn't respect us. And you know, all we are are pieces of meat to these uh, managers here. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to waste my time. So even though that's their experience and mine may be different, that reputation may be keeping employees away from your organization. Wow. Uh, I actually just logged on to it. And um, I think after this interview, I'm going to go snooping around because <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think about it, So you're using it for a lot of different reasons, but you're also using it to kind of pre-screen you know, prospects or potential clients on do you fit or would you or how would you fit within that organization or are they really actually looking for your services or could they just be giving lip service to their employees? Because I, I, I have to, I haven't, I've never asked you this question, but I have to believe it that that you're there not to be the event, you're there to to be a, a longer term goal to help an organization, and if the fit's not right. You know why do it? Because you're not going to you're not going to have an impact or make a difference to the organization. Where your your goal is is to come in, make a difference, help the organization understand how to, in this case, retain top top talent, and how to retain that steady eddy person, and, and and to help the company grow. And and it's really a, a change in attitude. And you know, attitude comes through reviews. Right. And I think that when it comes to the way that I use it, that's by the time I'm having that conversation, the potential client has already called me and we've started the process. In most cases, they're already looking at doing things different. 
Glassdoor I use just as really as part of my research process. You know, I go and I'll read press releases and I go to the website and I just, I use a lot of different avenues so that I can get a feel for myself as far as what's going on in the organization. And a lot of times that if there are problems, I can have a pretty candid conversation with the uh, potential client and say, why are you bringing me in? Why now? What's going on at your organization? And uh, a lot of times because they're focused on it, I had one you know, Fortune 50 company basically say that we put out our annual employee engagement survey or our annual employee survey. And the number one thing that was coming up is that our employees don't feel appreciated. Okay, so it, it's just, like I said, I think that by the time it gets to the conversation where a company is calling me and I'm starting that research, it's just real, so I can build that program that's personalized to what it is that they need instead of you know the things that I believe I should tell them. So this underappreciation, does it, is it just more than a thank you? It, what, what else are you hearing and seeing out there from your clients on why their people feel like they're underappreciated? Um, a lot of it is um, empowerment the, the, uh, of not allowing them to make their own decisions or figuring out things for their own, of, of treating them like they're valuable, smart, creative individuals. And companies that are making their, comp- their employees jump through a gazillion hoops to get you know, a $5 approval for something, it, it's stupid. You're treating them like they're in kindergarten. And we need to start looking at ways, because a lot of times when we empower our employees to make the right decision, they'll do it. They'll surprise us. Also, the investment in your employees, investing in training, bringing someone like me in or, or doing something so that you're providing additional ways for people to grow. Um, I came across an, a cartoon a couple of years ago in an HR magazine and a CEO was talking to the HR director and he said, well, you know, why should I invest in my people? They're just going to leave anyway. And the HR manager said, well, what if we don't invest in them? <laughs> And they stay, <laughs> you know. So it's. I was at. I was uh, talking at a SHRM conference, the Society for Human Resource Managers, and I put out the question, you know, how do you invest in your people? And one woman raised her hand. She said, "Well, we offer a thousand dollars for each of our employees every year to take whatever professional or personal development programs that they want." And there was this collective gasp in the room as people were saying, oh, I can't afford that. I mean, I have 100 employees. I can't afford $100,000 to do this. And as the murmur is going around, I asked the woman, I said, so what percentage of your employees actually take you up on that? And she said, about 3 to 5%. That's it? The thing is, though that the other, let's say, 95% of the people that don't take advantage of it because of you know the things they have in their plate, the families, all that kind of stuff, whatever decisions they make, they still know 
that their company is investing in them and they can take advantage if, if they want to. So again, there's a different level of connection and the three to 5% that are taking advantage of that, that opportunity, those are the ones we're keeping our eye on because that's where our emerging leaders are coming from. That's really cool. Um, yeah, and I, I like the way you use the word investment. Uh, versus cost because the the person in the audience said we can't afford that in her mind she's thinking it costs too much and and a, a mutual friend of ours uh has made this comment uh uh when you talk about investment where will it take us and when we talk about costs we're just looking at today and it's it's not forward thinking in, in a way it's just it, it, how do we invest in our people it goes a long way uh and in, in helping with that retention Absolutely. And like I said, there's so many uh, opportunities for, for companies to provide a training. And when you look at the opportunity to take an hour off, to have a lunch and learn, to bring in Subway or something and watch a webinar together, participate in a, in a teleseminar so that your whole team is having the same conversation versus, you know, sometimes, oh, well, we just send our managers or, you know, I'm going to send one manager to training because goodness knows I can't afford for you know, more than one person to be off. But you have the synergy of those, of that group of people having the same conversation and being able to brainstorm ideas and, and get things done versus one person who goes to a training, comes back with all these ideas. And then the first person says, well, that's stupid. I don't know how we do that. <laughs> and then they give up on it. So we just look for ways that we can bring that learning culture into our companies. And we can do that, like I said, there with technology and everything, just with us being able to have a conversation on Skype or on Zoom, or, you know, it feels like we're sitting in the same room having a conversation together. You can do that. We create these connections and the opportunities for people to learn and grow together. And it goes to the attitude. It goes to the attitude of the organization. It goes to the attitude of the individual because we can we can provide this investment to them. However, if they're in a teleseminar or on a webinar, I want them 100% focused on the teleseminar or the webinar. I don't want them multitasking. And I think that's part of the challenge with technology is, okay, all right, I've got to sit in this thing for an hour. Okay, well, let me make sure I got my my phone with me so I can answer any <laughs> emails. And, oh, I, I can I can I can I can multitask. No, you can't multitask on the same side of your brain. So you know, I think it it looks at that that attitude of that individual as well. And, and what are you seeing different between the generations? Uh, are are the um, the younger generation, they want more of investment into them. They want that learning uh, to be part of their overall career stat- uh, development. Um, are you seeing any differences between generations as it relates to this? Is there any rub out there? Uh, what do you see? Well, definitely with the the youngest of the, the generations coming through, the millennials and beyond, there is that desire to learn, um, that desire to grow with the organization. And sometimes when um, boomers or Gen Xers look at the track record of of the millennials coming through, they don't take the time because they're like, well, why would I waste my time with that person? They're only going to be here for six months or a year. Well, maybe 
if they had the opportunity to grow, if they saw that you were willing to invest some time in them, you know, then then they would stay longer. Are they going to stay for 20 years? Probably not. But the thing is that when you look at the boomers had the advantage of the traditionalists, you know, kind of putting their arm around them, mentoring them and stuff. Um, you know, the boomers tried to do that to Gen X. And now we have this group of people that that people are not paying attention to because they're not necessarily seeing the value, the creativity, the desire for growth. All they're seeing is a bunch of jobs on a resume and they're discounting this magnificent group of of people that are now believe the numbers are by 2020 they'll make up 20 they'll make up 75% of the workforce so we have to figure out a way to connect with all of the generations yeah i uh, as we've seen this past year the uh the millennials outnumber the boomers in the workforce so boomers were number 2 there's only one way we can be number 1 to start killing them off and that's not a, <laughs> that's not the right idea so we're we're going to be number 2 and also it was about this time last year on CNBC i saw that uh uh, millennials contribute over $2 trillion in consumer spending in the U.S., and that's their money, not their parents' money. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and when I hear the word, anymore when I hear millennial, I go, uh, here's a millennial for you that might put things in perspective. You ever heard of Mark Zuckerberg? Yep. <laughs> uh, he's a millennial. <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. Well, and I think the other thing that companies are also mistaken is they're not putting into plan uh, succession planning for when the boomers leave. I was doing an HR training program, and one of the reasons why there was one woman in the program, and the reason why she was in HR is because in one month, her four boomer buddies retired in one month, and the company had not planned for that. You know, we're losing a boatload of knowledge, skill, company history as you're taking this generation that was the largest generation and is no more, but are not making the adequate plans to look at who are our emerging leaders and how can we invest in them to, again, help them stay, to help them get the job done and to not lose so much when that millennial, I'm sorry, when that boomer decides it's time to go. Yeah, in the accounting profession, they're dealing with that big time with succession planning because the millennials and even the Gen Xers are going, I don't want to work like you guys have done. I I really don't want to do that. There's got to be a better way. And actually, I've shared this story in, in previous podcasts, but um, one at one of my presentations, this one manager came up to me and shared a story that he had one of the partners come and give him some work and say, I think we should do it this way. And, and the, ma- the manager said, well, I think I got a better way. And the partner listened to him and, and he was right. And then he looked at the partner and said, if this was my firm, I'd run it differently. And I said, that took some guts. He said, yeah, well, yeah, it did. He goes, but, and, but I knew the partner would listen. And he says, what would you do differently? He says, you got 10 partners in this firm. You're killing yourselves. I would move that partnership up to 20 partners, spread out the work, spread out the time, so we all have lives that we can lead, and, and those lives not always being inside of this office. There's a diff- They are looking at things from a different perspective, and we need to begin to embrace that different perspective and, and the, different, the creativity that they're bringing to the table if we want them to take over our businesses or have that succession out there that we can leave them with. 
Right. Oh, absolutely. There's got to be that. We're never going to have work-life balance, but we can have work-life integration where we can figure. And that's part of the company culture, too, because we're spending, you know, people who are working in are in offices, you know, are spending more time with their coworkers than they are with their families. So how do we, again, create the culture where you have that peer-to-peer recognition, where you have um, people who are are appreciating each other and it's not coming across as, oh, you're just sucking up to the boss, <laughs> you know, of, of that we really genuinely appreciate the efforts that each other are making in the organization and creating that culture where it is fun, where we are bringing in the family, where we are bringing in the things that we like and the con- those connections that, again, is different than it used to be where you just worked and went home. We don't have that anymore. We're connected 24-7 with these smartphones. Uh, yes, we are. And, and I, I'm, I'm trying to get mine down to only 20 hours a day versus all, all the time. But yeah, we are much more connected. We, we, have, we have many more distractions. We're, we're being inundated by content constantly. And you mentioned something about work-life balance. I, I don't believe there's such a thing unless you're dead. Uh, uh-huh. And hopefully you've gone north, not south, and that's completely out of balance. But I, I, it's like work-life management. How how do we manage that at times when we have to be there because the business requires it versus those times that it's not mandatory? How can I get some time to go spend with the family, do a hobby, whatever I want to do, and, and allow for that? Uh, and the, the the organizations and accounting firms that over this past year that I've 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 gone in house and, and worked with them, I'm I'm starting to see that I'm starting to see that they're recognizing that and they're they're taking that initiative to go out there and say you know what we need to do a better job we need to appreciate our people a lot more versus you know the way we did it in, in the 70s. Uh, one person shared a story that um, he remembers a partner back in the 70s, uh, uh, an associate resigned, and this was when you gave two weeks and worked two weeks. <laughs> and the partner came up to him and said, imagine there's a bucket of water right there. Stick your fist in there. Sticks his fist in there into this imaginary bucket of water and pulls it out. He says, what size is that hole? says, there is no hole. It says, that's because it's insignificant, just as you are to this business <gasps> right now. <laughs> I, I I can't make that up, even if I tried. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Uh, and um, I, I've had some conversations, even with some recent partner, partners, who have said, we can't be mean to them anymore. I said, well, we really shouldn't have been mean to them at the beginning. Right. But that's part of that old kind of culture that that's out there that, that we've got to change. We, we, everybody wants to feel appreciated, even if they've given their two week notice. Uh, because I always, I've always felt that, you know, when somebody leaves that, that, that person leaving still could be an opportunity down the road. Absolutely. You know, and I think that you bring up a good point with the, uh, with the hole in the water. And I think that guy was just <laughs> being mean, but a lot of times it's, in that whole guise of joking around, uh, which also can really hurt people. I had one of my, I was speaking at one uh, program and a gentleman came up to me afterwards. He had just started, he was with this company for about six months. It was a big box store. They had, you know, one of those where when a customer writes a letter, it's a big deal um, for, you know, a kudos letter. And every, every, 
month at their management meeting, they would read these letters. So as this guy's sitting there and he's listening to his manager, you know, read the kudos letter from this lady and she's going on and on, he's feeling all proud and recognized and appreciated. And the very next manager that got up there said, yeah, his mother wrote that. (laughs) Wow. Within three weeks, that employee left to go down the street uh. to another company. We're not, when, when the joke's on, at somebody else's expense, not funny. Yeah. Not funny at all. If it's something that it, it can potentially hurt somebody, you don't know how that person is feeling. You don't know the, the deep wound that you can create. I'm sure that that partner, that the guy who was subjected to that rude partner to this day, that still gives him that same knot in his stomach when he thinks about that somebody could talk to him like that. We make a huge difference and those don't get repaired. Uh, no, they, 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 they don't. Uh, and you, you said it, um, and, and being a, a, a humorist as I, I, I want to consider myself, um, there are times when humor is appropriate and there's time when it's not. And in that guy's case that you just described, that wasn't humor. That was a bad joke that, you know, cut deep. That yeah, was, that was t- almost like sarcasm to a, to a degree. Right. Exactly. And like I said, I'm all about humor. I mean, I love to laugh and have fun. And I also know that, uh, you know, humor at someone else's expense. And a lot of times you, you don't know the damage that you can do for a re- to a relationship for the rest of that relationship, because there's no going back once you said the, oh, did I say that out loud? Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm, I'm sort of thinking that the best humor to do is self-deprecating humor, because the, the person that you described, if he would have stood up and said, yeah, wow, that reminds me of the, the letter that I got. It was very similar to that. It was from my mother. But you got one from a customer. That's even better. That's awesome. Thanks. That, keep doing that great job. So you get to laugh. You get the self-deprecating humor, but you also want still you know, appreciate and praise the, the person for, for the hard work. Absolutely. And that's what it comes down to. It's just being aware of our language. It's it's catching people doing things right. And also you need that buy-in. I know that's one of the reasons why I love to really work with uh, management teams, management retreats and that type of thing. Because unless the leaders get it and they buy in, and this is not just another thing we check off. Ooh, employee engagement, check. No, (laughs) no. If you believe that it's something, say five thank yous a day. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, I'm done. But there's not that heart level, that there's not that sincerity. Employees can see that all day long, so why bother? Right. Be, be sincere, be consistent, and don't put a compliance factor around it. Right, absolutely. Wow, uh, that's great advice for everyone in business, whether you're at the top of the management ladder or even at the bottom of the management ladder, especially when words do matter. And, you know, we've all been hurt by words. Also remember that when you're saying something to another employee, to another manager or whatever, that, you know, just, I think just watching our language and being positive in, in responses go a long way in overall employment appreciation. Absolutely. And, and I, 
run with this this comment for a second because I've been hearing this a lot, and and I think it goes to to the attitude within the organization. Uh, those who aren't in a management role are often the first to criticize management's decision, but not knowing everything that went into that decision. And um, I, I don't know, those who say, you know, I, my manager's an idiot or something like that. I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. you, you got to change your attitude. Uh, you know, can you explain to me why he or she's an idiot? And, and it really just comes down to they, the, the person doesn't agree with the decisions that are being made. So uh, then if you can't make those changes, then you have to change your attitude or you're in that bottom 20% of the of that employment pool within that within that organization. Right. There's always got to be personal responsibility um, for everything. You know, when it comes to the gratitude research that I've done, uh, gratitude is not an IOU. You know, well, I said thank you to her and she never says thank you back or you're welcome back or anything. You know what? It's still my choice to decide if I'm going to let that person mess up my day. So it's the same thing in the workplace. We have to decide um, to change our attitudes, um, to realize when we can make a difference, to realize where no matter what we say, it's not going to make a difference and be okay with that because we always have a choice. And sometimes a choice is maybe my talent is spent somewhere else better. Um, maybe this is the opportunity for me to do something better, or maybe it's not that bad. It's just because of what I'm going through and I need to suck it up and move on. But we can all, we always have the choice. And that's what I say in my programs. Nobody can make you mad, just like nobody can make you happy. You choose your emotions. And, you know, sometimes you just got to, you know, watch Frozen a dozen times and sing Let It Go. <laughs> so, Would you like to do a little song for us there, please? Oh, no, no, no. There's a lot of things I do well singing, not one of them. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, attitude goes a long way. Uh, and I, I think it's Maya Angelou who said, if you want to change something, change it. If you can't change it, then change your attitude. Um, and you know, I think, you know, we all have a lot of pressures on us day in and day out. But I think, as you said earlier, we spend a lot of our time within these organizations and I want to be happy inside the organization. So if I'm not feeling happy, is it something I'm dealing with personally? If it is, okay, then let's change the attitude. Or, you know, as as this one uh, attendee made this comment, to me at one of my sessions, she goes, I don't understand people. I said, well, this ought to be good. Tell me what you mean. And the, the example that she gave, and I've said this in previous podcasts, is that they had an opening. Somebody left the organization and they had an opening. And normally they would post for this opening. However, they had the ideal person, we'll just call her Lisa, to fill that role. So without posting, they put, the, put Lisa in this role. And the whole office went back crap crazy. And when she called a meeting of everybody to talk to him and, and she said, you know why Lisa got the job? Cause every day she's walked into this office, she has been interviewing a thousand percent better than everybody else here. Every moment that you walk into this organization, don't think you are not being interviewed because you are, and you've got all eyes on you. So you guys need to do a better job of interviewing every single day in order to be considered for that next role, which I think goes back to the point of that attitude. Right. Right. And that's why, you know, again, in my 
research on gratitude, things like keeping a gratitude journal, which again, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. But taking responsibility for yourself to start looking for the good. Because when you personally, I have a 30-day gratitude challenge, write down three to five things that you're grateful for every day for 30 days. I guarantee you things will start to change. But what it does is it actually changes your energy. Because I believe that we can all change the world one thank you, one interaction at a time, one looking for the good, one choosing a positive emotion versus a negative emotion. We all have that choice and we can do that for ourselves. We can also do that for our organization when we don't think that anybody's paying attention to us. But it's still our choice to do the things that we believe will take ourselves and our organizations forward. Wow. Well said. Um, Thank you. And, and, and I, yes, that we will have a longer conversation as it relates to the gratitude journal and, 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 and along those lines. But I, I think I would, before we end this, I think I'd like to take a little shameless plug here. And w- would you tell us what else you do, Lisa? Well, I am the current president serving my second year term, uh, second back-to-back term of the National Speakers Association, the Ohio chapter. And it is just, I love NSA. I've been a member for seven years. I've been serving on the board, I think, for six of those years. And it's just a, a great place for people who are looking to build a speaking business. Um, or to build another business through speaking. Um, it's just it's just fun to hang out with people who are excited and love what they do. And um, like I used to tell my minister when we would meet on Sundays, we've recently switched to Saturdays, but I would tell my minister that they are my five favorite Sundays of the year. <laughs> Much to his dismay. <laughs> but now we're moving to eight meetings a year. Um, September, October, November. November will still be on Sundays, so we don't have to deal with Ohio State football traffic. <laughs> but the rest of the year, January through May, we'll be meeting on Saturdays in Columbus, Ohio. And if you're listening outside of Ohio or even outside of the United States, there is a National Speakers Association in just about every state and every country. You also have a Global Speakers Federation. So look into it because it's a great organization. Lisa has a ton of energy, and, and I'll just tell you that firsthand. Uh, I had been a past member of NSA years ago when I was apprentice, uh, and then I became a member of National, and, and I was kind of deciding would I come back to to the local chapter. I mean, the leadership has always been good, but to me, there's been something missing, and then Lisa jumped into that role, and, and I've reengaged myself back with it within the uh, organization, which I'm so happy that I have. Uh, and she's done a great job. She's got a lot of energy, and I'm thinking about passing a motion at the next board meeting uh, to keep you as president <laughs> for to 2020 or something like that. Well, that's not going to happen, but at least I'll get to be past president, so I have another year and a half on the board, and it's all good because I love serving. 
And and next in line is Maureen Zapala, who I'm also interviewing. And I believe if my schedule is correctly, she is the one coming right after you uh, in my 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 uh, on my podcast. So uh, I know it's a shameless plug, but I tell you what, she does a great job. She's got a lot of energy and do it running your own business as well as become, being the president of a local chapter. If anything requires extensive time management, energy management, and and she brings that attitude and passion. Uh, every meeting that we have, and and I just wanted to give her a chance to call that out, and also me to uh, say it once again to thank her for her time and, and energy that she's put into the chapter for the past year and a half, two years, and uh, I look forward to working with her this the remaining part of the next few years on the board. Well, thank you, thank you. It's been my pleasure. And so, how can people find you? Okay, there's a couple different ways. I have my website, which is gratigy.com, which is G-R-A-T-E-G-Y, just like gratitude strategies.com. Uh, at gratigy.com, you can actually sign up for my gratitude thought of the week, which is a short inspirational message that seems to show up exactly when you need it. I've heard <laughs> that from a lot of people, so it's not just me saying it. Uh, I can be reached by email, lisa at gratigy.com. And all of my books, I've written eight books. Um, they are all on Amazon. There is another Lisa Ryan. All of my books, except for Afraid to Speak to Paid to Speak, are all about gratitude. So <laughs> that's, how you, that's how you'll tell us apart. Well, Juan, thank you very much. Uh, I, I know you've provided so many useful tips to this audience to better engage their their workforce so they're not leaving to the competition. They're staying with the organization. Uh, thank you for your time. And, and once again, thank you for your service to the National Speakers Association, Ohio chapter. You're very welcome. It's been my pleasure to be here. I would like to thank Lisa again for taking time out of her schedule to give us ideas on how we can keep our top talent from becoming someone else's. Lots of great advice Lisa has given us. In episode 39, I interview Maureen Zapala, who's the founder and CEO of High Altitude Strategies. She helps smart people match their confidence to their competence. This is a very interesting interview because Maureen discusses the imposter syndrome. If you don't know what the imposter syndrome is, then get out your Encyclopedia Britannica and look it up. Or just go to Google. Thank you again for listening, and remember to show appreciation and gratitude to your top talent so you can keep them on the payroll. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.